I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. Welcome on in to Oops! The Podcast. Uh, this is our Thursday guest episode. We are joined by the fantastic Mike Feeney. Hey. Mike, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course, dude. And it's of course, as always, we've got Giulio Gallarotti, my co-host. How are you, G? Good, man. How you doing? Good. Feeling good. Love that. Uh, Mike Feeney, everybody. This is great. You are one half of the Irish Goodbye podcast, along with our good friend Mike Cannon. Yes. Uh, you have just put out an album on iTunes, which is currently number one on the charts. Number one, baby. What an accomplishment. Oop, I'm going to fix this, because I know this is going to drive you crazy, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> you got some OCD features in you, which is great. That's perfect. It's a great job for producing. Mike, w- tell us about the album. What made you decide to put out an album? Who put it together? Where did you record it? And uh, all of those things. <laughs> this is this is the most serious interview I've ever done, right from the top. Um, <laughs> and man, it's been, this is my 12th year in comedy. So at this point, it felt like uh, I had like a series of life events that kind of it felt like pushed me directly into this, which I can you know get into at some point. But uh, but eventually it was just a matter of, uh, you know, you also into the thing where you get sick of some bits that you've been doing for years and you just kind of want to put them to bed, but you don't want to just stop doing them mm-hmm. entirely. So you're like, oh, it's still funny. I want to put this down somewhere. And it felt like uh, I don't know, man, I always had a, a love hate relationship with albums because. I came from the school of like looking at like Seinfeld. It's like one album, David Tell, one album. That's so, it. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, they have like their little like they have Netflix specials now and stuff. Right. But in terms of like albums, they each have one. So you're like, if these fucking gods have one, what the hell would I? What business do I have doing it? But it's just comedy has changed so much now. When you look at like, you know, the state of social media and all that, but it's all about content. You know, when we all started comedy, it used to be like hide your material until someone can see you live and because otherwise on youtube people will steal it now it's like just get it out just get it out as fast as possible then mm. you know that andrew schultz model of fucking yep. uh of comedy now but it, it it's what works man and you can really cultivate and for me i i've been putting out i do like sketch videos or dumb internet videos just like you know you doing shit and i've been doing those for years and i looked at my youtube page and i have like 40 or 50 sketch videos all these other stuff and then I had three stand-up clips from my entire career, one of which was a heckler video. So it's like mm-hmm. these people who, you know, are coming, you know, or see me live. And, you know, it's like all these I, my online presence didn't exist in terms of stand-up. I was just a comedian guy, you know, who made some stuff. But I felt like people needed to start seeing, you know, my bread and butter. You know, it's just a funny thing, which is like. The dumbest, I don't know. It's just this feeling I've been having this week since the album came out, which is, you know, available now everywhere. Uh, I, uh, I've been, I had a moment where right before the album came out, I went, okay, well, I mean, this is it. This is now I'm pot committed to this profession. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I've already, everything to this point before an album, you're like, I can take down my YouTube clip if I just want to be a teacher in Biloxi in 20 years from now in case none of this works out. But then once you have an album come out, you're like, oh, this is forever. Like, mm-hmm. which has always been my mindset anyway. But it's funny when you have like a, oh, no, you can't. It's like someone's pushing from behind yeah. you. I you call can... it the burn the ships moment. Right. <laughs> so there you're was that famous, the there was that famous uh, war g- general 
in the Greek Greeks or something where he, that he and his army arrived on the shores of a, of an enemy city. Mm -hmm. And his first thing that he did was he burned all of their ships so that they would have no route home. Love that. And he said, we are either going to beat these people and now own this land or die. And uh, there's no, there's no way back. Yeah. Right? It's the, it's, it's the, it's jumping out without a parachute. You know what I mean? Right, it's the no right. safety net below you kind yeah, of Richard a thing. Which, trying. Yeah. And it just was, uh, for me, man, it just, I don't know. It was just, it's exhilarating. Even though, again, it's like, that was always my plan. I've always assumed to do that. But uh, it's weird when you have, especially it's like, I'm doing it with a, a record label. So they're like, they're not going to take it down. They would yeah. never take it down anyway because they're, they're making money. Right. <laughs> it's like you go like, gee, do you have a burn the ships moment in your comedy career? Uh, sort of, man. I remember I, a few years ago, there was a point where after I had been doing kind of like, I was teaching tennis for years and then I was, you know, doing temp jobs and all that stuff. And at one point I was like, I don't have the energy after the day of doing the side work to really use my brain properly. And I need to just try to somehow figure out a way to not have to do anything else. Right. That was probably three years ago, four years ago, maybe. Um, and I have not looked back. But, the, you know, those first couple of years were really tough sometimes. Yeah. Where you're well, like, yeah. I just have been through this moment so many times where I don't know how I'm going to possibly make money. But I know that it has somehow worked out every single time. So I'm not going to stress. And I'm going to stay focused and keep trying to make it work. Um, and yeah, that was like... I guess sort of that pivotal moment for me. Hmm. What about you? Well, I, I mean, taking the job at Barstool was a moment where whether I knew it or not, very quickly, I realized that after that, I would never be able to work a job that wasn't in comedy again. Right. Right. Um, it's that's a liberating, but also kind of slightly terrifying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there is no failsafe, but you don't want one. You know? Yeah. I I didn't really become at peace with it until I got a raise at Barstool, and then I that validated me to think I actually could make a good living sure. in in this industry. Whereas you know, because I came from tutoring, that was my side. That was my day job. Right. And, um, I had never even put clips on YouTube from stand up in the five years of I was doing stand up before I started working at Barstool, whatever it was, because I was so worried that a parent would find me right. on YouTube, mm -hmm. you know, and, and be like, yeah, I don't want you working with my kids. And then it would get around and then all the parents, you know, it'd just be my, my job be done. And then the moment I stepped into Barstool and, uh, you know, the, the, just to be connected to that brand, which is so uh unapologetic and raw and, and uh brings to light you know it it with well, the moment i got my ra like radio show and every single day was talking about my sex life or my drug use yeah, yeah. anything it was just like not not only did i completely burn the road back to a normal life to cinders but I also started <laughs> connecting with the audience a lot better. Oh, for sure. Because once you bury yourself and you're far more transparent and personal, everyone gets excited that they can they can now hear the real you uh, and not some uh, more Contrived, curated yeah. version of yourself. 
Mike and I, Mike and I say on our podcast, it's like doing this and especially doing podcasts too, where we're so open and being like, man, this is a, our kids are eventually going to hear this and we're going to have to atone for some of the, but it's like, it's essentially like running, having a podcast and being so honest on it. It's like running through Times Square, like chest first without, you know, without a shirt on right after like the methadone clinic gets closed. You know what I mean? Right, where it's just like, right, you're just right. willing to be stabbed and the just open wounds ready to go. Yeah. Guys. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, fill in the blanks here. If I were in a concert right now and I said, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I'd then turn the microphone to all of you sitting in the stadium and you would all yell, Anchor, Anchor. And then you'd say, go to anchor.fm to download the software where you could host your very own podcast, see all the best analytics. You could see it in a way that was really user-friendly and nice and not too technical and industry jargony. It's a way that any person can look at it and be like, ooh, that's pretty. And also it's our podcast. And you, there's no minimum listenership required to advertise and monetize. So you can immediately have ads when you hit the ground running. It's really exciting, really spectacular. If you want to start your very own podcast, anchor.fm, download it now. But it's funny you say about jobs because that's kind of how my whole thing happened. Where like I, my jobs, I, I had so many different jobs like out of college where I worked in television. Then the recession hit. Like I worked for like the Colbert Report doing like production stuff like that. And then I was doing a bunch of freelance jobs. Recession hit in 2008, 2009, and then it just became like, you know, all those entry-level jobs became internships, kind of free internships, right. so I couldn't afford to do that. So I'm like, let me work at some restaurants. I worked at restaurants. I worked at bars. Then I got started working for like a beer distributor, which I figured I was like, it's better to have a nine-to-five job instead of like taking off every restaurant shift on a Friday to do seven minutes at the Village Lantern for free when I was, you know, new in comedy. And then I started working for a beer distributor for a while. And then from there, I was like, all right, this is good, but it's still, I didn't like, I don't like having a boss. I mean, that's one thing I've never enjoyed. I've never been good at with like authority with that thing. Went from a, a beer distributor to working for a brewery. And then after I worked for them and everybody always says, this is like when you have a, like a nine to five job, they're always like, we love that you do comedy. That's so cool. That's so eccentric. That's kind of fun. We should come to shows. And then it, be, it always at some point becomes, they see how much, they see how much stand up I was doing. They saw like me doing me out a lot of nights. And then, then they started going like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. You could be using this time to do this. And right. I, I always would tell them, I was like, well, this is my personal life. This is like, you know, people in the company have kids. You don't tell them like they're spending too much time with their kids. Don't tell me I'm spending too much time doing this. And then like one of my jobs gave me an ultimatum where they were like, you have to like, you're not working hard enough which for sure was the case uh but they didn't know that you know what I mean? that's uh, a theme yeah. across all of our guests yeah it yeah. is just find a loophole job where you can do as little work as possible and still get a weekly paycheck and i like i was working remotely for a company that didn't even have they weren't based i didn't have a job like it would just once a week they would call and be like so you working and I'd be like yep and like yeah. talk to you next week you know like that kind of thing yeah. and so they gave me an ultimatum of basically being like, you have to like stop the comedy or stop doing the comedy or do this, which of course was just like, well, if you thought I wasn't working before, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, then you yeah. just, and then I ended up hopping from there to a much bigger brewery that like a, one of the biggest breweries in America that is like super close to working here. So I worked for them for a couple of years and now, you know, in the last year, like I had a day job up until last year where like the, the, uh, the uh you know the beer kind of like the beer recession i guess has hit where like nobody's buying like the younger generation they drink those truly seltzers people are drinking vodka people aren't don't want the calories of beer that whole like everybody grab an ipa kind of phase has kind of died mm -hmm. so they were like you know it was essentially becoming a thing where 
people that wanted to keep those careers, which I could have had a career in beer and been a fucking 40 something year old guy at bars during the, it sucks. You know what I mean? It's a terrible thing, but I mean, whatever, teach their own. And eventually it became a thing where they were like, we're going to have to lay off a bunch of people. And I was one of the people that got laid off, which to me, from the second that even became a possibility to when they called me and it happened was like the greatest gift anybody has ever given me because I felt I didn't feel worry. I felt immediate relief because I've been trying for years to hide my comedy being like, oh, I'm doing a podcast during the day. I got to like not promote this until after work. Like just the the lies you have to like you're spinning plates where you're like, or the worry about being like, where are you? Why? You know, whatever. And so when that came, it was so freeing to be like, I would have never left that job because it paid well and I wasn't doing enough work to justify being able to make that elsewhere. You know what I mean for that? So I was probably, I would have stayed there until I got fired. You know what I mean? But getting laid off was great because then it was like, you know, then you get a couple of weeks severance, which like floats you out or whatever. And I'm not lying, dude. This sounds like weird and like, you know, movie-esque or whatever. But the second I got laid off, I started getting booked on the road like that weekend, like immediately. People, my whole calendar filled up like like within a week of me getting, and I'm sure a proxy of that is me working twice as hard now i mean like i gotta fucking hit it right. but it was the best thing and then i was like well now even more i'm gonna do an album like i was waffling with doing an album like now i need to do an album that's also money coming in that's this that's that so i just like it just fueled me where it could have to some people i guess like decimated them it was like the best thing that's ever happened and i've been able to do full-time ever since so far which is like who knows how long that's gonna last yeah. but it's been it's been great. And I was like, it was like, it was what I almost wanted to thank them. You know what I mean? For, right. for letting me, like, if only they knew how much, because I remember I did, I did last call with Carson Daly, which is like, you know, just, I was like my first like stand up on TV credit kind of a thing. And, uh, I came back from doing, I didn't even tell them what I was going out there for. I just took personal days or whatever. And then when it aired, like I came in one day to the office and they were playing it like in the conference room, like for, the entire like all of like the bosses bosses boss like the, to the owner of the company up level and like it's just about like me doing mushrooms me like just smoking we like all of these like crazy things where you know you feel it's like that's your work life versus this and you get yeah. exposed and all that stuff and they're like you know i think they saw that there was like oh he's doing it on tv he's he's starting to like get you know right. some accolades for it but it was right. yeah it's the best i understand having the safety net but i mean at some point you just yeah. got to yeah. Go for it. So along the way, uh, I'm sure you've in, in, had some major mistakes. Yeah. What, if any, do you have a a major fuck up that set you back? So I'm gonna qualify that by saying that I um I'm a very good scammer. So I'm very good at like anytime I've been really career wise like or anything like backed into a corner, I've somehow found a way i'm like breaking bad you know what i mean every episode you're like he's fucked he's so fucked he's gonna get shot and killed in the desert and you're like all of a sudden you're watching four seasons later you're like wait how did he get out of the fucking he just talked his way out of the i've always been very good like even with those things where it's like they've given me an ultimatum they've called me out on things like all that kind of stuff like i've been i've been fired from a lot of jobs you know what i mean i got fired from restaurant jobs i got fired from best buy like i used to get fired from all these different things but like whether it's a coping mechanism or something i found a way to always like, uh, you know, I guess pivot and make it, turn it into something good. Um, Personal life, there's been shit where I've been like, oh, well that was a shitty fucking thing to do, you know, or just, you know, an oops of like, 
like I have like uh in I met my wife in college we made like a sex tape in college because that's what you did in co- you that's what, college uh Iona up in New Rochelle okay. but that was like one of those like hand cam like you know like Paris Hilton like night yeah, vision yeah. style yeah. things like that and then we lost it so I don't know where that is but there is a we never put it online thank god but it might be because oh I we lost the tape and that is something that will always kind of haunt me to just being like because also I don't know if you've ever filmed yourself having sex and watched it back but it is eye-opening oh, <laughs> I have I, I, I did a j- joke about this I, I said it's like watching a WNBA game you're like, <laughs> you're like why are they moving faster yeah, you know is, like, is nobody paying these poor people like oh they can't even dunk like yeah, it's another fa- layup a breakaway layup here oh we go God, yeah i mean there's been stuff like that i mean there's stuff going all the way back to like and have you made a sex tape i feel like you seem like a guy who's definitely have a sex tape out there dude <laughs> sex tape yeah uh, nothing like to i mean obviously just like filming stuff here and there but not like a quote-unquote sex tape. no i mean we didn't we didn't write a story around no, it no, you know? no, it wasn't no tripod <laughs> one night at iona you know what I mean? we didn't write, yeah there was no tripods it. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, yeah it was more blair witchy than uh cinematic but uh <laughs> she's just running away from you yeah, oh, yeah, get yeah. back here oh i got her i got her <laughs> and now woods. we're married so yeah. it's not rape <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. she didn't have a choice <laughs> but, but that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, there was stuff like that. I also did shitty things as, like, you know, a boyfriend back in the day. Like, it's a story that I've told before, which I think now it's, I mean, this, nothing dates me more than this story. But, like, I, uh, the, the girl I lost my virginity to, I was planning on, like, breaking up with her the day before we had sex for the first time. And then we were at a house party. We both got Wait, hammered. Why? Because I was, it was in between, it was before I went to college. So I'm like, you we didn't want to lose your virginity to her? I wanted to lose my virginity, but I was, it was like, we were dating her for a few weeks and I'm realizing like, she's already like, this is becoming a, like going too fast in terms of like the relationship. And I'm going away to college gotcha, in, gotcha. A, in a month or two. So like, mm-hmm. I want to be not in this relationship. You know what I mean? So, uh, my plan was to break up with her, but I wanted to break up with her after this house party that had happened at this kid, Tony's house, who was this Asian transfer student from china who had the biggest house any of us had ever seen and his family was out of town so this nice kid just the nicest guy in the world just was like i'm gonna make friends by letting everybody have a house party but then he invited 17 year olds from long island into his house so within i mean minutes it's just like people punching holes in the walls people like crying throwing glass against the wall just like absolute scumbag trash uh long island people you know and uh, I started, I was with my buddies and I was like, just keep me away from her. I'm going to break up with her tomorrow. And then, you know, the Mike's Hard Lemonade starts flowing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then what do you do? All of a sudden you get closer to one another. You start making out. She leads me to uh, to this guy, you know, to one of uh, Tony's uh, 11 bedrooms. And then, uh, you this know, this Asian we- man was named Tony. Yeah, I mean that was his. This is given name. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gnome that's, that's his Ellis Island name, <laughs> and uh, his real name has four X's in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, so you know, we ended up having sex, which was like for my first time having sex. Neither of us came, so I'll qualify that by not sounding like a tough guy or whatever. But like we had sex for forty-five minutes, which was just sweaty white people chained it. I was just like so happy to have sex. Also, I was drunk. I had a condom on. I felt nothing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like whatever. So uh, we, we, we have sex. She has to go home because her mom keeps calling. That's the only reason we stopped having sex. And then the next day, I was like, this is how I rationalized it in my brain as a, as a, as a teenager. I was like, well, I could uh, you know, keep this relationship going 
uh, or I could break up with her because this is the day after we had sex for the first time. And the day after that would have been our one month anniversary. And when you're a teenager, I mean, you want to, <laughs> those anniversaries are huge. So yeah. I thought mm -hmm. being a generous, nice man that I would break it off with her the day after we had sex uh, for the first time. Uh, but that wasn't enough to be a shitty guy thing to do. I decided, since I was a coward, uh, it would be best to break up with her via AOL Instant Messenger uh, and then just put on an away message like a real piece of shit, which, oh my again, God. I know that's the part that dates me a lot, but boy, oh boy, did I do an emotional number on uh, on her, which I felt uh, really shitty. But at the time, I was like, I don't understand what the big deal. Like, I was yeah. so justified. Years later, we've actually, like, become friends now, so it's kind of come full circle. It's cool. Uh, but, like, for years there, it was a real because we had a lot of mutual friends. So it was uh -huh. like, anytime someone brought up my name, it was like a war of the world situation. Wow. But you ever just have that where you think yeah. like, I'm where, where I robbed a young woman of her innocence and her dignity at the <laughs> no, same no, time. No. I have not. I want to qualify with this. I was a virgin. She wasn't <laughs> a virgin. So, so that makes it, does that make it better? Much better. It does make it better. Much better. Okay. You know, look, here's the thing I've learned yeah. in dating in life. Nobody wants to be broken up with. Yes. There's no right way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell a girl, I fucking hate you. You're a piece of shit. I never want to see you again. Right. And bang her sister on the way out the door. Right. Right. There's that. Or you can wait until there's the perfect moment and sit her down face to face at a time when she's feeling good and you're not, you know, catching her when she's down and spell it all out sweetly and be there for her and say, let's be friends. Those two girls are going to be within a shade of anger of each other. Yeah, 100%. It is true. really not that different. There's no right time. And yeah. there's no right choice. And it, it is, like you said, it's like, it's high school, whatever. But even just in women, nobody in general wants to get broken up with. It's a shitty feeling and right. it's like you know what was a you know, my other option was just stay together go right. to college it's like then it's like you know you're build yeah. you're building i this. did that i had that exact same you scenario did. and it turned into a terrible five year on and off i guess five just years gonna, i guess we might as well just die together you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah yeah i'm, I'm pot committed seems yeah. less yeah. awful it's than awful. uh breaking up right now yeah on and off and as i was a year older i went to school and then somehow convinced her to go to the same school as me Oh my God. Oh so I was man. a sophomore. She was a freshman. She immediately got caught up in like the cooler kind of kids situation. And uh, I was just, it was on and off for the rest of college. Holy shit. In a very predictable, cyclical way that was brutal. Of course. Yeah. yeah you keep going back to each other. You break up. You see each other together. with each other. Yeah. Other guy hearing stories from friends. Ah! Horrible stories. What a terrible, terrible way yeah, to oh, enter tough. and go through college. It was bad, dude. I mean, I mean, and we're cool now. Also, I bumped into her on the street the other day. She's pregnant. Crazy. Um, yeah, you didn't you didn't mean to do that. Married, <laughs> yeah, uh. married, pregnant, it's all good. But yeah, dude, it was brutal. So I almost wish that I had maybe taken your course of action. Yeah, who knows what could have been slash and burn theory, you know, which is yeah. like, again was not. I didn't feel good about it, but I did feel justified at the time. And then looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah. what a piece of shit. No, no, what an oops, huh? Yeah. No girl or guy has ever walked out of being broken up with and said, well, you know. 
I really like the way that he broke up with me. You know, to his credit, he was a total gentleman. No, nobody fucking says no that. Does it. Unless it's like one hundred percent mutual, which, by the way, that's pretty fucking rare too. That's never. Then that's just too miserable. How long have you been miserable that you two were together that you both realized like, oh yeah, no, this is done. Like yeah. you're like, well, right. yeah. that means you stayed together months maybe years too long if right. you've both gotten to that point it's a process though yeah it's like when someone's gonna die in the hospital they don't come out and tell you they're gonna die it's like pulling out like of a, a three-day process it's like pulling out of afghanistan you know <laughs> stop bringing politics i just think <laughs> i've dated a lot of afghanistans in my life and you know <laughs> yeah. we you, I, you come in you build up an infrastructure you start and you can't just pull out because next thing you know that the taliban's gonna come back in and these girls are going to yeah. be forced inside again. Unwinnable battle. There's yeah. caves everywhere. Yeah. Oil, Total. sand. Am I right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've had also like uh, <laughs> so much I know about Afghanistan. Like, there's sand there, right? I um, <laughs> it's more, more mountainous. I think, yeah, but. yeah. I mean, there's sand is mountains, right? Yeah. Eventually, rock. Huh? Sure, yeah. sure. Good spin Jeez. zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. that. Uh, I've had also like a uh, an oops that was more. Like the hubris, you know. Which oh, this is, is not, good. Yeah. Not career-wise, but like could have died situation, um, which was life-threatening. Which was, uh, I was, I so my mom moved down to Florida when I went to college. So I'd go down there in the summers. Predictable white guy with shaggy hair who wore puka shell necklaces, like work at a surf shop, surf when I'm not working, you know, that kind of lifestyle. Cartilage so, piercing. No, no, not piercing. I wish I, I never. I had an eyebrow piercing actually. So there, there we go. go. Yeah, you are. You're wow. Close. Yeah. Thank you. That was yeah. Good. Wow, that was and good. you were like, no, that wasn't me. Uh, that, oh, yeah, yeah that, that was exactly that, me. Yeah. I forgot that that was my time. And like, I forgot <laughs> I ever even had that. The only reason I ever took that eyebrow piercing out is because I had to take it out for a restaurant job. That it, This was like after college. And uh, I was putting it back in on the subway. And it like the jewelry, like the ball to it fell on the subway ground. And I just went, well, I'm not going to go buy yeah. another one. That's the end of that. And just took it out and threw it. And was like, that's the end of that part of my life. And a good law. A good yeah, mess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was getting bad. I had like the, the hoop with dice at one point. I was really, wow. I was really wow. putting on airs. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tip that guy less for my <laughs> yeah, fajitas. Uh, uh, I didn't know it was Applebee's. So I, <laughs> was it? Yeah, well, I did spend, I worked at, I worked at like Cipriani, which is like $500 oh, yes, a plate. Yeah. They worked, let you keep the ring in there? No, not there. No, I had to have a thing. I, did, I worked at Applebee's. I worked at my first, this is a segue, but my first restaurant job uh, was this restaurant that no longer exists called Southwest New York in, uh, in the lower, side, lower end of Manhattan. It's between the, in the financial district, right across the street from the World Trade Center, right? So it was uh, a, a biggest outdoor seated restaurant in New York City. 300 seats right on the wow. Hudson River, giant Mexican restaurant, and then all these seats inside. So I go for this interview. I've never worked a restaurant job in my life, but I'm like, how hard can it be? And so I made up my entire resume, made up six years experience. I, put, I said I worked at steakhouses. I said I, wor wow. I said I worked at an Applebee's, which foreshadowing I eventually did, uh, but I, <laughs> which was crazy. But I, they were like, you have such, you're so well-rounded. This is so crazy. It's wild that all of these places either went out of business or have changed locations or, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, I know. Hilarious. So I get this job because I'm a good bullshitter, you know? And uh, the first day I'm on the job, I've never worked in a restaurant. Everybody else is like, Five years experience. The week that I got hired, somebody else had gotten hired with no experience that he made up, but like flamed out real quick. And all the other servers were talking about it, being like, huh, this guy thinks he could work in a restaurant, especially here, Southwest. This is the top of it. They think this like this was like the Yankees of being, you know, in a restaurant. Right. And so <laughs> I'm 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 like immediately in the weeds, you know, I'm like trying to figure out the POS system. I'm I'm running around, they give me this huge section because I had so much experience, and I'm like running around sweating like an animal, and then the hostess comes over, she's like, You have a VIP 
in your section. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like sweating. I'm like, I, 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 was, I thought the, the owner of the company was there or something. I'm like, I'm gonna get fired. This is crazy. And then I, I walk over and I, she goes, you're gonna, you're gonna be thankful. And I walk over and it's just my favorite person on the planet, Leonardo DiCaprio, is just sitting in my section on my first day of the job with his mom and with his friend and their little dog. And I'm immediately like, <laughs> like just like coughing. Every other table gets no treatment. After that, I go right up to him and I'm trying to play it cool. But also, I think I just saw it's like Body of Lies like the night before. So I'm like all Leo all the time. Let me smell your dick. You know, like I'm all over it. And so I'm like. <laughs> I'm just kind of, I'm trying to be like this professional, like, hey, how are you? And he's got like the hood up, the glasses, and he's just the nicest guy of all time. I managed to serve him very well. All the other people in my section complained greatly. But him, he was so happy, and he like, he left me this big tip. He was the nicest guy, paid for it with like a different name on a credit card. It was a whole thing. Uh, and then I was living off that high for like the rest of the shift. And then at the end of my shift, uh, I was talking, I was waiting on this table of all these, you know, fucking financial bros, douches that were out there. And I was bringing out a picture of like mugs of beers and uh, and margaritas and stuff. And I was like taking them off. And one asshole just did the thing you never do, which is he was just went and took his drink off of the thing. Mm. And the entire tray of drinks flipped upside down onto him and his suit glass shatters everywhere everybody looks like everybody stops dead silent first day on the job and then i like look my first reaction is to look to where leo was sitting to see if he's still there and he had just left and i was like yeah <laughs> like, this, is, I, this guy was like are you kidding me and i was like I, leo's gone so my my, yeah. my interaction with him stayed perfect <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, but, yeah. but i uh yeah i was also i got i got let go of that job um but uh <laughs> but i worked there for a while you know what i mean um yeah. Nice. But I don't. That was a weird sidetrack. But all of that to say, this is completely unrelated. So I'm in Florida. Life-threatening situation. I'm in yeah. Florida. I go. Uh, I go surf. I'm like, I'm gonna go surfing. Uh, my mom had come to the beach too, and there was like a like a red tide warning, which is kind of like you know it'll pull yeah. the undertow pulls you out. So kind of be careful. But I'm like, I've surfed thirty to nah, maybe less than thirty times. I'm pretty good. Uh, so I I start paddling out, and I'm like, and as I'm paddling out, I'm about. Uh, 500 feet from like the jetties you know what i mean which is like the end of the beach anything past that is like open ocean the beach stops there and uh and so i'm like 500 feet out and as i'm i'm starting to paddle it's like it's really the waves are coming in hard and fast it's really hard for me to paddle out so i'm like i'm getting out of breath so i was like all right i'm gonna turn i saw that all of a sudden i look over maybe i'm like 300 feet from the jetties and i go oh i'm gonna get pulled so I'm going to turn my board away from the jetties and just go directly the opposite side. And then I'll worry about paddling out. And as I turned, the tide took me out faster than I've ever seen in my life and then past the jetties. So I was just on the other side of the jetty. And as I'm like getting further out, I'm like going in through all the phases of like panicking and being like, I'm starting to like call to other surfers and people like my mom is on the beach, like reading a magazine, like no one's paying attention. And I'm like, waving to people i'm yelling nobody is hearing me or seeing me even though there's so many people in the water with me i guess just because of like oh that guy's doing this thing out there so i get taken out past the jetties i'm on the other side of the jetties by myself and now i'm like freaking out because it's like eerily quiet over there and also yeah. the beach that i'm surfing on is the shark bite capital of the world which is new, new smyrna beach florida Jeez. and uh not they don't kill you but they're like seven foot sharks that just take a chunk out of you and go on with their day. 
So now I'm like looking around for this. So now I start going like I'm losing ground trying to paddle back towards the jetties. So I get off the board and I'm like swimming overhand towards it. And when I do that, I'm not gaining or losing ground. I'm just staying exactly where I am, getting super tired. And I was like a lifeguard, so I could I was pretty good at swimming, but I was getting winded and legitimately scared and still getting pulled further out into the thing. So I'm like resting on my board with my legs in the ocean, like worrying if I'm going to get eaten by a shark. I'm like signaling to people that are like, there's like old, like uh, Chinese fishermen, like fishing on the jetties that I'm like looking at. I'm like, Tony, you know, I'm like screaming out to them. And then, uh, <laughs> so eventually what I did was the only way I got back was I, I did. Uh, I remembered that like the backstroke is less work than a, like a full front paddle. So I went on my back and kind of just like, back swam towards it and then i was making like just little progress so it took me i mean a good 40 minutes of swimming backwards Jeez. to get only to like the other side of the jetty so i'm still like the beach is all over here i'm still on this side of it and those chinese fishermen saw me when i got like i mean i literally got thrown against the rocks like my board was bashed up i was bleeding everywhere because i was getting smashed against the jetties and these two chinese fishermen fucking like threw their poles down and like got into the water and pulled me the fuck out of it and i'm like i'm bleeding i'm out of breath i'm like almost crying because i was so it's so weird to be in a very very public place and then so quickly be complete isolation yeah, and you can crazy. see people but they can't see you and you're getting further from How fast them did that happened that riptide situation. The rip. I mean, it was with. I didn't. I hadn't even rode one wave yet. I was just paddle. I was just trying to paddle out. I was just, just trying like to that, get past the waves, out? man. The second I turned sideways, it was like within three minutes, I was already on the wow. other side of the thing. I was freaking out, and I like, you know, I get back. I'm like getting back up. I'm like still, and I'm like still trying to save my board. And they're like, fucking leave the board because it's just getting. It's like pegged underneath the rocks and stuff. So I get up there. I'm like, I'm limping. I'm bleeding. I'm like, I go back. And then I like, I see like my, some of my family members and friends and like my mom that were at the beach. And I just, I like immediately, I'm like, what the fuck? Like I freak out on them. I go, what? You didn't fucking see that? I'm like, call and freak it out. And they're like, oh, they're like, what? We thought that was you. And they just point to like another oh, white wow. guy surfing oh. where I'm like, oh, every white guy looks exactly the same surfing. All yeah. of just the wetsuit. Uh. I didn't even have a wetsuit on. I just had like a, a rash guard on, yeah. which thank God for that. But yeah, dude, it was like the scare. That was one of the most scary moments of my life. That's fucked up, dude. That's amazing. That's a good story. Well, why don't we call it there? That was a good. <laughs> that was a great story. Uh, we've had a blast with Mike Feeney. Yes. Irish Goodbye Podcast. Yes. His new album is out, available on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere you go. Still number What's one. the name of the album again? Rage Against the Routine. Yeah, Rage Against the Routine. Love that. Uh, give good him title. a shot, folks. He's great. We can also find you on social media at... I am Mike Feeney on all socials. Bingo. Cool. And as ever, we are... At Oops the Podcast, we are at Francis C.C. Ellis, at Not Julio. Uh, check us out. We've got some shows coming up. I'm at Gotham Comedy Club, November 22nd and 23rd. Hell Get your yeah. tickets at FrancisEllis.com. Julio, where can we find you? Uh, December 6th, I'm uh, doing a show at 10 o'clock, National Lampoon's event space in Long Island City. Should be really cool. I'll have more information yeah. soon. Hell yeah. Thanks for, uh, as ever, checking out Oops the Podcast. Send us your major oopses. Um, you can either DM them to us or email uh, oopsthepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. See you next week.